Good Sunday morning, Grace Trenton folks, Pastor Hutch here. So good to be with you this morning and get to open God's Word together. I want to start our time with a question. Why does God allow suffering in the world? You know, as I have the opportunity to meet with people outside the church, people who are not followers of Jesus, what I find far and away is that the greatest barrier that people have to belief in the God of the Bible is this question of why does God allow suffering in the world? So if God is all-powerful as He very clearly is in the Scriptures, and if God is all-loving as the Bible over and over tells us, then why would God allow suffering in the world? If we're honest, that's the same kind of question that resides in our own hearts. And now it would be easy to give an intellectual answer to that, and there's many for that. But the reality is it's a very different thing whenever someone asks that question from a place of pain in their own life, as so many often do. So often we're asking that question out of a reality of the suffering that we have seen or the loss that we've walked through in our life or trauma somewhere in our life. So often that question is not just an intellectual question, it's more like a cry of the soul. So here we are two weeks into this COVID-19 pandemic, and it feels like each and every day we hear new reports of more infections and people that are dying and the impact on the economy and the loss of jobs. And, and the reality is, is that many people are asking the question, why is God allowing this to happen? What is God up to in this? Now I realize that for many of us, we might not yet be feeling the full impact of this reality. I know that for a lot of us, life is not all that different. For lots of us, this what the social distancing has meant for us is more time with family and it's, it's slowed down a, a crazy, busy, chaotic life. Some of us are enjoying just the, the slower pace of life and the ability to catch up on Netflix and really dive into social media. And if, if we're honest, for a lot of us, this has not fully impacted us. You know, just the other day, I was talking to somebody in the church and I said, how are you doing through all of this? And they said, well, really, I, I'm doing pretty good. Life's not all that different, just working from home some. And I said, well, what, what would be different if the internet collapsed? And they looked at me and they said, devastating. <laughs> and I thought, amen. You know, the reality is this has not yet hit many of our lives, but the reality is it could very soon. And even if it doesn't, the reality is, is that so many around us are suffering and so the question for us is how do we respond in this time now one of the challenges that we face as we come into suffering is the reality of living in a culture that avoids suffering at all costs I mean the reality about our culture is it's an increasingly secularized culture and a secular culture sees the only true reality, the only thing that's real is that which you can see, that is the material world. And so as a result of that, the meaning of life is located in this world, in this life. So for us in our own culture, the, the ultimate value is the pursuit of personal pleasure. 
and the maximizing of personal freedom. That's the reality of our culture, and so therefore our culture struggles so deeply with suffering. It doesn't know what to do with it. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, which I would commend to you by Tim Keller, he talks about this and he mentions uh, a Dr. Paul Brand who was a a pioneering orthopedic surgeon who worked with uh, the treatment of leprosy. And he spent the first part of his career in India and the second part of his career in the United States. And he talks about in a book called The, the Gift of Pain, he talks about uh, the significant differences he encountered in those two cultures. And here's, what, here's how he puts it in his book. He said, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at greater comfort level than any I'd previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. You know, he he points out the reality that in the United States there was uh, so much more comfort, so much more resources. The health care was light years beyond what we had in India. Life was so much better. The comforts were were well beyond that in India. But my patients in America were unable to handle even the smallest amounts of suffering, where in India, where none of those things were available, they seemed far more able to handle suffering in their life. And he wrestles with that in his book, and here's the conclusion that he comes to. It is because the meaning of life in the United States is the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom that suffering is so traumatic for Americans. See, I think, he's, I think he's really touching on the reality that we face in our culture. You know, if our meaning is maximizing personal pleasure and happiness and freedom, then suffering is the ultimate threat to those things. If meaning in life is located in the things of this life, the material things in this life, then anything that threatens that is a, is a threat to the very meaning of life. And I think if we're honest, as we begin to walk into this season of challenge and suffering, what we begin to find is that maybe our hearts in the church are more aligned with the values of the world than what we had previously realized. So the question is, how do we respond? The question is, how do we understand the purpose of suffering in our life. Well, as we come to the Bible, we see a totally different perspective on suffering. The reality is is that the Bible, really from the beginning to the end, is dealing with the reality of suffering in the world. Now, what's interesting is that the Bible is incredibly realistic about suffering. It doesn't try to explain it away. It doesn't try to give uh, simple answers to the complex reality of suffering, and it doesn't deny the reality of it. It doesn't gloss it over or paint it with rose-colored glasses. The Bible looks head-on at the full reality of suffering, and yet at the same time gives us enormous hope for the ways in which God is going to transform this world and also 
reorients our understanding of how God uses suffering in our life. So I want to look at a passage that very clearly shows that to us. Uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, one of the things about the book of 2 Corinthians is that it is all about this issue, this theme of suffering and how God uses it in our life and about how it's the means through which God glorifies Himself. And even in this very own chapter, we're going to start at verse 16, but even leading up to this verse here, uh, Paul is talking about how the sufferings of his ministry are the validation of his ministry. And that it is through his sufferings and ministry that God is powerfully working in the church in Corinth. So let's look at verse 16. Read with me here. We're going to go through verse 18, and I'm going to focus on verse 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He's talking about this reality where on the outside, in our life and in our body, we're walking through persecution, we're walking through trouble and hardship, and on the outside, very clearly, it looks like we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And he says this in verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now let's focus on verse 17 here. And he says something pretty interesting right off the bat. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. Now that's an interesting way to describe what Paul and the Corinthian church are walking through. You know, again, if we look earlier in the chapter, we see these light and momentary troubles he's talking about are things like persecutions and beatings and shipwreck and hunger. All of these things that I would not classify as light or momentary. But you see, that's the point. Paul says when you take the things that we're walking through in this life that are significant and are painful, he doesn't gloss over, he doesn't say those are no big deal. In fact, sometimes he will talk about the things that he's endured is causing him to despair even of life. He's not glossing over them, but the reason that he calls them light and momentary is because he is viewing them in light of what's coming. He is viewing them in light of what is eternal, what is unseen. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Now that's an important verb there. Paul is saying that the things that we're walking through, the afflictions that we have in our life as believers, they're achieving something. Some of our translations say they are producing that means that they are uh, purposeful. There is purpose in our suffering. The hardships that we endure, the things that we're walking through are doing something in us. They're achieving something. They're producing something. And what is it that they are producing in us? Paul goes on, an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. You see, Paul says that the sufferings that we're enduring in our life are achieving glory in us. 
It's producing glory in us. Now, one of the interesting things about glory, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod, and it has the sense of weight and density and significance. Now, we think about that often as we think about the value of something. How do you know if something's valuable? Well, you, you weigh it. You, you feel of it. Does, is it dense? Does it, uh, is it solid? That, that is something that communicates value, and that is the essence of glory. Glory is having a, a weight to your person. It's having a significance to who you are. It's the sense of, of character. It's the sense of, of weight and gravity in who you are. A person of, of glory has impact on their world. Now think about it. Who do we go to in our life whenever we need wisdom? Who do we go to uh, whenever we need guidance, whenever we need someone to walk with us through something really hard in our life? We want to go to someone who has, who has character in their life, who has weight to their person, someone of significance. And so often, who are those people? They're people who have suffered. They're people who have walked through incredibly hard times in their life, and those Hardships, those difficulties, those sufferings have formed them. It's formed their character. And we don't go to people who've had an easy life, who uh, have had everything come to them, who are always winning, who uh, everything just seems to come to them and they've never walked through hard things in their life. Those people have no substance. They're thin people. That's why we, we often go to people who are older because if you're an older person, there tends to be wisdom there because likely you suffered. If you live long enough, you're going to suffer. And now suffering doesn't automatically bring character and wisdom, but so often that is the means through which it comes. As we suffer, it forms us. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The way in which God brings about glory and substance and character in our life is through our sufferings. And so when God brings those things into our life, one of the main purposes that He has in that is that we might be transformed, is that we might be deepened, is that we might be formed into the image and the glory of Jesus. See, that, that's God's agenda for you. If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's primary will for your life, His primary purpose in your life is that you be formed into the image of Jesus. That's glory. That, that we might be reflectors of His glory, that we might be people of depth and substance. And that always comes through suffering. And we see that throughout the Bible. We could walk through the whole biblical story and see that is the way in which God transforms a person. We think, for instance, about Joseph in the Old Testament. If, you, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, Joseph starts, this is the end of the, the, the book of Genesis. Joseph, at the beginning of his life, he's the, uh, the youngest son of the family. He's favored by the father, uh, and he's, uh, he's like a little brat. He throws that in his brother's face. They, they hate him for it, and they sell him into slavery. And so at the beginning of his life, he has very little character, very little substance. He's a shallow person. His brothers sell him into slavery, and what we see in his life is that he walks through incredible sufferings and difficulties in his life, being sold into slavery, being 
falsely imprisoned. But then we look at Joseph at the end of his life and we see a man who's been formed. A man who knows God intimately. A man who is able to restore his family and a man who literally is able to save an entire civilization from starvation. We see it in the story of Israel that God would bring His people into slavery in Egypt in order to prepare them for the Passover where He would rescue them out of slavery through the blood of a lamb. We see that in the story after that in the story of Israel as He leads His people through the wilderness in order to prepare them for the promised land. Later, whenever they're in the promised land, we see that God brings them out of the land and into exile in order to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. You see, this is the story and the pattern we see throughout Scripture. God uses suffering to bring about the redemption of His people. Always. And the ultimate example of that is the cross. It is the ultimate picture of how God brings life and rescue and redemption and transformation through suffering. Through Himself suffering. I mean, as we think about this question of why does God allow suffering in the world, there are many things that we could say there. It's a complex question, but I think one of the most powerful answers is that no matter what we say, as we look at the cross, we see the reality that God is willing to enter into suffering. That's what we see in the cross. That God was willing to enter into the brokenness of this world and to take our suffering upon Himself, to take injustice upon Himself in order that through His suffering, I mean, just to wrap my mind around the reality that God chose to suffer. It's amazing. But that is the picture of the cross. That's exactly the message of the cross. Now think of this. In Christianity, that is the ultimate picture of our faith. The ultimate symbol of our faith is the cross, which is a symbol of suffering and, and death. And see, that, that, is, that is the picture of Christianity. And the, the cross becomes the ultimate paradigm through which we understand God and His purposes in our life. You see, through Jesus' suffering in our place, He will actually destroy and end suffering once and for all. It is through His suffering that we are rescued from our sin and the curse that is upon us because of sin. It is through His suffering that He redeems His people. So as we look at the cross, it reorients our whole understanding of suffering. And we see that, no, wait a minute, this this is not just something odd that's happening to us. No, suffering in my life, this is how God works. This is how He redeems. This is how He rescues. It is through suffering. And now for those of us who are in union with Christ, we know that through His sufferings we've been rescued. But now we're called to walk with Jesus in the way of suffering. To share in the fellowship of His sufferings. And as we suffer, not only are we formed into the image of Christ, the message of the cross is made evident to the world. You see, we as the church are called to bear witness to the cross, not just with our words, but with our suffering in hope. 
Because we know that what Jesus has done on the cross means that ultimately all suffering will one day be ended. And that one day we will be made new. So that gives us hope no matter what we face because God has purpose in the sufferings that we're walking through in our life. Here's what we see through the cross and throughout Scripture. We cannot experience glory apart from suffering. And it is through suffering that God brings us into glory. So how does that apply for us right now in what we're facing in our life? Well, it does not mean this. It does not mean that we need to be seeking out suffering or that somehow our suffering makes us more righteous or more right before God or, or that uh, we need to always be depressed and down and somber or any of those things or, or we need to be waiting for the next shoe to drop in some way. It doesn't mean any of those things. It doesn't mean that, that we have to chase after it. But here's what it does mean. We must not be afraid of suffering. And we must not conform to the world that says at all costs avoid suffering. I mean, we, we must not be shaped by our world to the place that we are living for the things in this world. We shouldn't make it our ultimate life, a goal in life to avoid suffering. We need to be renewed in our minds that our whole perspective on suffering is changed through the gospel that we are able to see there is purpose in this. And you see, this is what we're called to. We are called to love. That is ultimately what we're called to. And if you are going to love, you are going to suffer. To love is to suffer. The cross is the ultimate picture of that. You know, if you are going to love another person, ultimately what that means is that you're going to give up your preferences and your rights and your time. You're going to give up you and your life for the good and the sake of another person. That's what it means to love. And that will bring suffering into your life. To love means to suffer. But you see, through the gospel we see that is God's purpose. That as we love, we are changed. As we love, others are changed. We are redeemed. So what does this mean for us right now? Well, I think this. We, we cannot disengage from what's happening. We have got to be present and eyes wide open with what is happening around the world and in our nation. And even if it has not hit your home, we need to be remembering people that are suffering right now. We need to be praying as a church. I mean, that's one of the most fundamental ways that we love. We need to be interceding on behalf of those who are suffering. We need to be seeking to love our neighbors in, in the ways that we can and the ways that we can enter in and provide for them. We need to be praying for our community. We need to be present. We are called to love. Let me pray for us now. Father, we just come before you and 
Lord, we just acknowledge that so easily our hearts are shaped by the values of this world and that we, we too are so tempted to live for just maximizing personal happiness and avoiding suffering at all costs. But Lord, you have called us as your people to walk in the way of Jesus, that we would be a people that embrace the suffering that you bring on behalf of the world. And that it is through the suffering of your people that you make the gospel known to the world. The message of the cross must not merely be spoken by us, it must be lived out in our lives. Lord, would you help us to love? Would you help us to pray? Would you help us to enter in and to remember those who are suffering around us? And Father, we pray that in this time you would come and renew the church, that you would bring us into a deeper and deeper glory that you have destined us for, that you are preparing for us. Bring us into that now for the sake of the world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So praying for you, Grace Trenton. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.